0: Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw, and today we go over the Knicks weekend that was. Did Tom Thibodeau do enough to save his job? Emmanuel quickly driving to the rim. Bipolar games, halves, sides of the basketball for Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. Cam Reddish out of the rotation question mark. So much more coming up right now on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starks. Without a five. going from the left. Yes. Hucks left. Now fires it. And he's good. And he's out. He's out. And he's out. Anthony for three. Five. That one goes down. This is all about. Back up. Off the glass. It's good. Oh, Jack Byron. Becomes infectious. It. It becomes infectious. are locked on nicks your daily new york Knicks podcast I want to thank you for making locked on nicks your first lesson today and every day if you didn't know we are now available on all platforms and that includes on youtube so if you haven't checked out our smiling faces there please do throw us a subscription throw us a comment i i know i know after this weekend you have some thoughts to get off your chest it's a safe space go in go off whatever you got to do but who's talking to you i'm gavin Schull, your play-by-play broadcaster um or your play-by-play broadcaster a play-by-play broadcaster your play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster that's who i am and typically i would be joined by alex wolf editor in chief of the strickland the greatest snakes website out there but he is on vacation all week so we will have plenty of fun guests to fill in the time but for today i decided to go solo do my own version of zach lowe's 10 things though i'm making it 12 i want you guys To get your money's worth, even though you do not pay me anything for this show. Anyways, uh, the New York Knicks. Wow, what a weekend. It looked like Tom Thibodeau was on his way out of town after a 121 to 100 loss to the Dallas Mavericks, a game that the Knicks were up by 14 in the second quarter and then proceeded to get outscored by 41-15 to in the third and were outscored individually in that third quarter by both Luka Doncic and perhaps more insultingly uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., who was raining fire in MSG, proceeded to call it a shooter's gym after the game. Just uh, just brutal stuff. And then uh, just when you think you have the Knicks pinned down, uh, they do the opposite. They hold the Cleveland Cavaliers to 81 points and 11 point victory. It's not only the Cavs lowest point total in the season, it was the least points the Knicks had allowed by 21. They had not held another team under hundred all year. They hold the Cavs to just 81. Uh, It was a fantastic defensive performance and a surprisingly inspiring fourth quarter where the Knicks, despite not really finding any sort of offensive rhythm or luster down the stretch, Uh, stood on their heads defensively, shut down Donovan Mitchell in his Cavs garden debut. And uh, generally it was, it was probably one of the next two or three most satisfying wins of the year. So where does that leave Tom Thibodeau? Let's go to our friend Ian Begley for that. He said, there's one thing worth noting. Leon Rose is fiercely loyal to Tom Thibodeau. And I don't think he would take lightly the decision to make a coaching change. I would posit. That this is the danger in hiring Tom Thibodeau in the first place, and I don't know about you guys. To me, for a while now, it has sort of felt like a situation where Leon Rose, and and this is a this is a fair appraisal of the situation, is looking at it as if firing Tom Thibodeau is kind of an insult to the job that he's done, and that would be that would be right. And to be clear, I'm not saying an insult to the job Tom Thibodeau's done. I'm saying an insult to the job Leon Rose has done and in turn would put him in very hot water with James Dolan. Possibly fair. Is that a reason for not firing him when uh, the Knicks have failed to establish any kind of coherent identity seemingly have failed to establish a direction as a team now two and a quarter years in two and a third years in to Tibbs' tenure. I would say that's fair. We can shuffle the deck chairs all we want but it's still going to be the same ship. The Knicks are 23rd in the league in defensive rating. They're 15th in offensive rating. Just about the epitome of average. They're second in the league in made threes allowed. They're 0.1 ahead of the Houston Rockets, which uh, is, not, is not where you want to be. What does this team want to be? What do they hope to accomplish this year? We, we've been told over and over again, it is to eventually find a star. And again, you, you look at... The Knicks' transactions or lack thereof in a vacuum throughout the year, throughout the three years, you can justify all of them. They've they've largely they've drafted well. Sure, like you, would you rather have Devin Vassell than Obi Toppin? Would you rather have Tyrese Halliburton than Obi Toppin? Would you rather have Desmond Bain than Emmanuel Quickly? Yes, yes, yes. But still, good picks. Have those guys been developed properly? Have they been given a chance to shine? Uh, have we gotten? A substantial look at what these young talents look like playing together. Have we gotten over 100 minutes of Emmanuel Quickly, Quinton Grimes, Obi Toppin, Cam Reddish on the floor together? Not even close. We don't really know what the Knicks' young core is. We don't know how they play together. And the scary thing is, at this rate, we might never know that. I'm I'm skipping ahead, but Derrick Rose was out for this game. Apparently, that is temporary. That is not something that is likely to continue. And this front office has shown no real inclination to push Tom Thibodeau to say, hey, maybe it would be good if Emmanuel Quickly was playing 30 minutes a night, considering he's our single most impactful player in terms of on-off differential. Maybe... We should just get off of Julius Randle at this point. Like he's he's done enough to rehab his value. He's not a total sunk cost. Maybe we should get a look at Obi Toppin, considering that I don't know. I, I don't know about you guys. I don't see a world where Julius Randle is a key figure on the next Knicks team that makes the conference finals or, or makes the NBA finals. It just doesn't seem like it's going to happen to me. Sure, they could go get a star. Is there a direction once they have a star? Isn't that a guy that you want to plug into a coherent system kind of like the Cavs did with Donovan Mitchell that already has established talents? Are they giving themselves a chance to know if there are guys who could be long-term starters on this team? Kind of in some ways, but not really. They're not fully committing. And Tibbs is part and parcel to that. And, And the way he wants to play, the way he wants to win is part and parcel to that. And an archaic defensive system got blown up by the Mavs and then looked great against the Cavs. Was that just a disproportionately poor shooting night from two of the best shooters in the NBA and Darius Garland, and Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. Was it part of great effort by the Knicks? Yeah. And that's where it gets really tricky, right? Because these guys on certain nights still play really, really hard for Tom Thibodeau, but Rotation decisions that seem beneficial, like dumping Derrick Rose or or occasionally not playing Julius Randle over a crucial stretch, are are fleeting. And Tibbs always seems to want to go back to what he knows best. And it's the same lesson that we've taken away from Julius Randle. It's the same lesson I'm starting to take away from R.J. Barrett. Tibbs is who he is. All these guys, Um, Randle, maybe even R.J., are who they are. And we can't let the the moments where it's working cloud the moments where it's completely broken. Uh, so those are my thoughts on Tom Thibodeau. Let's let's quickly talk rotations before wrapping up this opening segment. Uh, Cam Reddish did not play. Uh, Tom Thibodeau said that was a product of wanting to try a nine man rotation, and Reddish was just the odd man out in that. When asked if it was a product of Reddish's defensive performance against Dallas, he said, I don't want to put anything on one guy. I don't believe in that. Reddish played just about his worst game of the season. I'm not counting I'm the preseason because he was, he was really awful in the preseason, but just about his worst game of the season against the Dallas Mavericks. It was It was really, really ugly. And it was a reminder that as good as he's been at points this year, um, there are stretches where he still looks like he doesn't really belong on an NBA floor and is, is, is losing the ball with no one on him and is, uh, rivaling Julius Randle for the league's biggest space cadet on the defensive end. But this is a guy whose praises we were rightfully singing as recently as, as two weeks ago and, Looked like he was going to command somewhere between fifteen to twenty million dollars a year this offseason. season, um, and as our guy Jonathan Macri uh, correctly noted in his newsletter, uh, stretch of November fifth to November sixth, uh, Reddish was averaging thirty minutes a night, and the Knicks were somehow even in his minutes despite the guys he was most often playing along Brunson, uh, Jalen Brunson, R.J. Barrett, and Julius Randle um, being net negative. So he was clearly bringing something valuable. And he was very much playing within himself, attacking the basket off of closeouts, playing exceptionally smart defense, playing really unselfish offensively, taking smart threes and eliminating the bad shots from his diet. Are are we just completely giving up on that now that Quentin Grimes is back? Is there a world where the Knicks would be better off if they were giving up on RJ Barrett instead of Cam Reddish? I kind of think if you reversed where those guys were drafted, and how they were acquired, and RJ's contract, I think Reddish will be playing over him. And that's not completely fair in that RJ, even when he's hyper inefficient, at the very least, plays like a top option. Cam is an utter disaster trying to go one-on-one, trying to create without an advantage. He cannot do that. RJ has been really bad at it this year, he is still far better at it than Cam Reddish. So that that is the counter argument to playing Cam over RJ. The reverse is that Cam actually plays within himself, by and large, does not force the issue to the extent that RJ does, is a quite a bit better shooter, um, and is, is just a far, far, far better defensive player this year. I, I don't know how big of a difference it would make. I kind of think that Cam should be getting good chunk of rj's time right now we will see if things change down the road but if, if this is somehow the end of cam reddish as a new york nick uh i for one will be bummed as i i think that is a guy who down the road will have moments for the new york knicks but cam reddish was not the only nick benched in that in this game derrick rose was as well we will tell you a little bit more about that and why maybe it should be a permanent move in just a sec but before we do I need to tell you about Turo. Turo is the world's largest car-sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want, wherever you want it, from a community of local hosts. Browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget across the U.S., U.K., Canada, and Australia. Book a spacious SUV or minivan for a family road trip. Get a classic or luxury car for a special event, birthday, or holiday. Find affordable economy cars if you're on a budget and just need to get from A to B. Test drive that new electric vehicle you've had your eye on to see how it fit into your everyday life. Many Turo hosts can even deliver the car right to you. Every trip is backed by liability, insurance, terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Forget boring rental cars and find your drive at Turo.com. I want to thank you one more time for making Lockdown Knicks your first listen today. For your second listen, go check out Lockdown Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. That includes Alex and I sometimes talking to our guy, Peter Bukowski. Locked On Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back on Locked On Knicks. Derek Rose sitting out uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers game. Tom Thibodeau saying uh, that was just because it was a back. To back my theory on this is it was Tibbs test driving what this team looks like without Derek Rose. And if he liked it, maybe he was going to stick with it. If he didn't like it, Rose was going to keep playing. I hate to say this because I am a big fan of Derek Rose. Uh, I've said it many a time on this podcast. I, I think down the stretch, he, even more so than Julius Randle, was the Knicks reason for their success in the 2021 season. Um, I think he is a little bit past his prime and, and not to say that there aren't stretches or moments where he isn't still a fantastic offensive player. I think he still very much has his burst um, on some nights more than others, but can absolutely toast guys can absolutely make guys look stupid is still an exceptionally smart passer. Um, cagey driver, Excellent pull-up shooter. The defense has gotten ugly at this point, and it is such a nice change of pace to have Deuce McBride in there, despite the fact that his elite shooting in the G League has not translated in any way in the NBA, just one for 15 from three so far this season. I think this team has more verve when Deuce is in there, and they need his defense more than they need Derek rose's offense and it, it it just falls into what we were talking about in the first segment what could deuce mcbride be down the road i'm not sure but certainly something better than he is as a player right now and at least on one end of the floor he's already a very good player Derek rose can only get worse than what he has been right now i do not see the point of continuing to play him with the exception of trying to improve his trade value there was actually a report uh from bleacher reports rick Bucher. um you can question his reliability because some of his reports have proven to be a little bit iffy uh this past year uh but he noted that Derrick Rose is uh of interest to the Dallas Mavericks which makes total sense because Dallas basically wants to be Luka Doncic plus the New York Knicks of the last four or five seasons and if Kimba Walker doesn't work out there why not go the same direction as the New York Knicks and plug in Derrick Rose in his place so that that's the quote-unquote incentive for continuing to play Rose Personally, I don't really buy it. I, I think uh, Deuce McBride um, or Cam Reddish, if, if you want to uh, put Emmanuel quickly at point guard a little bit more, should be getting those minutes, and it's not particularly close. I want to talk about Emmanuel quickly, who had back-to-back uh, really high-level games against the Cavs and Mavs. It, it, was a, it was a little bit of stat padding against the Mavericks, where quickly finished with 23 points. He was 7-11 from the field two for five for three, uh, seven of 10 from the free throw line. Of those 23 points, I think it was 13. It might've even been 15 of them coming in the fourth quarter where uh, the Mavs were playing their bench. And uh, it was, look, it was impressive, but you were like, all right, show me, show me something real. Um, I think he did that against the Cleveland Cavaliers and is looking more and more like the guy we saw over the last five or six games of last season, where it seemed like he was making this undeniable leap, driving the basketball. And to me, it's all about his ability to shift gears and change pace um, and use deacceleration. This was something uh, a guest on this podcast about three weeks ago. Uh, DJ, aka Ace Zulo, was was discussing on Twitter. Um, It's almost it's not quite to this level, but it's almost hardness with quickly's ability to start and stop. I mean, there's one play with Chetty Osmond where he just put the brakes on. Osmond froze up and quickly just shot by him um, all the way to the bucket. That was that was just picture perfect. Um, And particularly in the second quarter where the Knicks really needed that score, when they had those bench heavy lineups and don't have camp as an option those bench heavy lineups and rj was was in the midst of just about his worst half of basketball of the season which we will uh get to in just a sec and and quickly put together the following sequence um had just a nasty uh euro step on kevin love and an inside hand reverse finish um and then another pick and roll where he snaked around kevin love little one-two step to the rim for a layup at the shot clock buzzer then got a live grenade on, on the right wing with the shot clock dwindling, ticking down to zero. Um, I think it was Isaac Okoro on him, and, and he just, just drove right into him, stopped, hit a hit a banker that was heavily contested. Um, also played great defense on Darius Garland down the stretch, but this is a guy who ha- has clearly put a lot of work in the offseason, um, both in terms of getting stronger, which I think has made a substantial difference for him around the basket and just improving his layup package, his diversity of finishes around the rim. have gotten so much better. You, you mix that in with, with his ability to change speeds and he's at a different level as a finisher. Another great uh, Macri stat from today over his first 12 games was at seven and a half points per night on 35% shooting over his last 12 uh, is averaging 12 and a half points per game on 46.8% shooting. So for a guy who is also uh right there with Quentin Grimes as the as the New York Knicks best overall and Mitchell Robinson as the Knicks best overall defensive player. Um I, I think he is someone who should maybe not be in trade discussions and uh should probably be playing uh 30 minutes a night as a minimum. Uh Julius Randle uh let's let's talk about let's talk about uh, a, a very mixed weekend for julius Randle, i i I feel like i'm I'm on a loop saying that because it's never or sorry that that denver game was a notable exception that pistons game was a notable exception but it's very clear cut it's or sorry it's very rarely clear cut with julius Randle um whether or not he's playing well because it's a tale of two ends of the floor it we should start off by saying he is a dramatically improved offensive player from last season As much as we rip him, as much as I still don't particularly want him on this team, he has been really good offensively for the most part. That's not to say there aren't possessions that are terrible, um, where he is a a total dead end, um, and and he just kind of dies with the basketball. We saw that um, against the Mavs and the Cavs, where they were never afraid to send a second defender over because they knew he wasn't going to recognize it fast enough, and they were very likely to get a steal. And that happened over and over again in the second half against the Mavs. and happened at least twice, if memory serves, against the Cavs. But his scoring has been out of this world the last couple weeks. He had 21 points in the first half against the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's as aggressive as he's been all season, getting to the basket, drawing fouls, finishing with contact um bullying like good defenders like he he just went through Isaac Okoro on one play for an and one um against against the Mavericks um he was driving and he's making these late passes that were really good like like drew two and just had this really unselfish slip pass to Derek Rose um threw in like I think this was an Osmond against the Cavs like his, the best crossover he's had all season where he totally ditched him got to the rim had a nice lefty finish um yeah he's just, he, he's just he's just been a good offensive player the last few weeks like I I don't I, I I'm not a fan of his by any means it's hard to say otherwise and then even defensively in these two games man he had he had some really really good moments he he was locking up Luka Doncic at points in the first half and you could tell Luka who's used to just bullying smaller players or speeding by bigger ones he was kind of stunned by Julius Randle for a second he's like all right this guy's as big as me, he's stronger than me, and he's faster than me. I don't really know what to do. Um, and and usually the answer with Julius is like, all right, give it five seconds because he will probably stop paying attention, and then you can go by him. But there were, there were moments where he's really good. Um, and then with uh, 95 seconds left in the uh, Cavs game, he got switched onto Darius Garland and absolutely locked him up, and Garland ended up just throwing the basketball away. And it's it's those flashes with Julius, right, that always leave us – feeling burned um and, and and a sense of like man if he could just if he could just do this all the time but the issue with julius Randle is he cannot do it all the time um because those possessions were mixed in with ones where um you could check this out on on our guy schwinn's uh, twitter like possessions where he just sits and stares like he, he got switched on a down to Donovan mitchell and he just sat in the paint fell asleep mitchell hit a wide open corner three it was his it was, guy it was one of the first times the Cavs got going um all game long um I got really excited because there was a moment where he ran as hard as he has all season, getting back in transition on Evan Mobley. And I wrote, feels notable, really nice to see. Then literally like two possessions later, um, missed a shot, kind of walked back down the floor. And Chetty Osmond got a layup despite Darius Garland not seeing him initially and passing it to Evan Mobley, with Osmond hopping up and down under the rim. Then Mobley threw him the ball, and Osmond was still wide open about three seconds of real time later uh, for the finish because Julius just decided not to go back that plan, decided not to play defense, decided to pout and stare at everyone else. And that, that is the story of Julius Randle's season. It's the story of really the last three-plus seasons with Julius Randle. His partner in crime, R.J. Barrett, equally up and down, though without quite the same highs. We'll get into that in just a sec. But first, betonline.net. They are your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. You can go there for the latest odds trends for every professional sport and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and eSports, we've got it all at betonline.net. And we want to note that Bet Online has the latest odds for you on coach of the year. And the man I am looking at is Mike Brown. Uh, 12 to one odds at this point. Uh, I, I think he might win it because the Sacramento Kings making the playoffs for the first time in 16 years is going to be the ultimate feel-good story of this NBA season. I, I know, I know as Knicks fans, we're, we're occasionally of the mindset of, Misery loves company and and there's been some ire with the Kings over the years. But personally, I I think that team is super fun. It'll be a heck of a job by Mike Brown if he guides them out of oblivion, at least temporarily. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at Bet Online as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. So you can head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, it is where the game starts. All right, third and final segment. And there's only one place to go. RJ Barrett. Oh boy. That was ugly in the first half against the Cavs. He was clanging open threes. He was repeatedly, and this has been probably the most worrying part of his, of his season where you expect him to um, now fourth year in the league to just be a better decision maker. Um, he is just blindly driving into two or three defenders. And it's not an occasional occurrence. It happens a couple of times every single game. And it leads to a lot of turnovers. He had four in the first 12 minutes of this game. He had another one in the second quarter where, again, he was just blindly dribbling into a double. And he and just, I mean, the, the plot is should be simple. You you draw two and you kick it and you let your teammates, you trust your teammates to take advantage of a four on three. But there is no trust, and there is a a constant sense of of pro- having to prove that he's the guy. And this is something Mike Breen talks about a lot. But the NBA is 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 a wake up call for for just about everyone. I mean, there there are rare exceptions, right? The Lebrons, the the KDS, the Lucas. But for most guys, you're not going to be the same guy in the NBA. You were in college. You're certainly not going to be the same guy in the NBA. You were in high school. It is about taking a step back realizing that the talent around you is, is multitudes better than anything you've ever seen before and saying, all right, how do I have to adjust my game? RJ has failed to do that throughout his career. He wants to be the same guy. He was at Montverde. He he almost wants to be more than he was at Duke where he was second banana at at points to Zion Williamson. And he's just, he's not that guy. Um, He played much better to start the second half. He had nine points in the first four and a half minutes of the third quarter started hitting shots, started making better decisions, but there there, there has to be a wake up call at some point for RJ. If not, I don't know how this contract's going to age. And that, that is a scary thing for a deal that I was certain. And I think most people were certain following this team that RJ had to do very little to justify Quinton Grimes. Um, I want to, I want to get to a positive because we has been, I think we've been trending a little bit negative on this, on this pod. Um, but I, I got, I got one pro and one con for Quinton Grimes. So bear with me. The pro, um, I I think he is going to go down as one of the great role players of this era. Um, If it's not in the Knicks, he is going to be a great player on a team that makes a run to at least the conference finals, if if, if not an NBA championship, at some point in his life. I, I feel very, very good about betting on that. His defense is special. He bothered the heck out of Luka Doncic. For a half held him to one of his worst performances in a half all season, battling through screens, allowing Mitchell Robinson to stay home and and bottling Luca up and containing both his passing and scoring in a way that there are, I mean, you can count on one, maybe two hands, the guys on planet Earth who are, who are able to, to guard Luca the way Grimes did in that first half. Um, and then in, even in the second half, when Luca started getting going, like Grimes was still making big plays on him, like back-to-back plays in the third quarter of that game. He had a, a chase down on Luca for a little poke away that, that led to a give-and-go dunk on the other end. And then came down and literally on the next possession, <laughs> stripped Luca, which was just fantastic. And he combines that with not only – it's not only great one-on-one defense, he he is an elite court sense in terms of his his help defense. His anticipation is, is special. Um, we saw that in the third quarter. Um, when he had Donovan Mitchell in the corner and, and and gambled correctly to help off him, seeing Evan Mobley diving to the rim, sprinted in at the last second. Um, picked off that pass. Um, offensively, he showed some great stuff as a cutter. Him and Jalen Brunson just have fantastic chemistry. And his ability to finish off of closeouts uh, remains elite. Um, he had one play against the Mavs where he beat Luka, had a little Euro around Reggie Bullock, and then had an inside-hand reverse finish. And it, it was just, I mean, the only way I can sum it up is it, it's a play that I don't think anyone else on the Knicks over the last five years would have made. Maybe Emmanuel quickly on the right night. It's—it's it's not It has not been common uh, for a Nick to cut off the ball like that. And, and, and to be able to finish like that. Cam Reddish, Cam Reddish, I should say is the other guy who, who has shown that he's capable of doing that off of a closeout. Um, the one demerit for Quentin Grimes this weekend, he is predetermining what he is going to do off of closeouts. And, And I think those success, the success he's had on those drives combined with three point shooting that has not been customary for him. Um, in, in a bad way, he's he's not shooting well from three is the simple way to say that um, has led him to uh, the conclusion that he is going to drive every time um, he catches the ball behind the arc or almost every time he catches the ball behind the arc. And he is an elite shooter with elite technique. And he just needs to keep on firing because the, his current slump is a blip on the radar. I feel very confident in saying that despite the relatively small sample size of him being an excellent shooter in the NBA um he just needs to keep putting them up and eventually they will even out to a minimum of 36 or 37 percent from three and when he predetermines his reads he becomes a much less effective driver as well and if you are close to a 40 percent three-point shooter those closeouts become even harder his effectiveness as a finisher as a playmaker uh becomes all the better all right uh, let's finish up with four rapid fire ones uh the young lineups defense uh tibbs went with emmanuel quickly Deuce McBride, Quentin Grimes, Obi Toppin, and Isaiah Hartenstein to start the fourth. They didn't score the basketball. Not not that they didn't get a field goal. They didn't score the basketball from seven minutes left in the fourth quarter until around three minutes uh, left in the fourth quarter. And the Knicks still won the game. And that's because they were playing fantastic defense. They were flying around. It reminded me a lot of the Nets game from last year. Um, Our guy who's going to make an appearance on the podcast this week, Ariel uh, Pacheco, uh, noted that it reminded him of the Heat game. Uh, from last year uh, it's just fun to watch and to my point at the beginning of this show I'd love to get more minutes with those guys of course you want more offense um, they could really use more creativity from from Deuce they could really use Quentin Grimes getting hot from three they could use Obi Toppin and we'll talk about this in just a sec continue to get more aggressive but defensively it is the thing of beauty those guys play on a string they play hard they play smart they play physical they are stifling um, Mitchell Robinson Isaiah Hardenstein closing out the Cavs uh, with a minute left in the game, uh, Mitch um, first knocked a rebound away from Kevin Love, um, tipped it out to Quentin Grimes, and then with 48 seconds left after the Knicks uh, took another 14 off the shot clock, um, he sprinted out of bounds on the run, saved it with his left hand to give the Knicks the ball back, and that that stretch of hustle sealed the game. And and for after an awful showing against the Mavericks and and up and down one against the Cavs. Uh a ray of light for Mitchell Robinson. And, and always good to see that his hustle is not contingent upon him getting the basketball. It is not contingent upon him scoring. Um and that stands in stark contrast to someone like Julius Randle. I just want to know Isaiah Hardenstein. I, I thought he was great in the third quarter of this game. Really crashing the glass, really bothering the Cavs, creating extra possessions, getting put back some for a guy who's had a very rough stretch, uh, he had some some really good moments uh, over this weekend. Obi Toppin, um, I liked him being more aggressive. This is a guy who is taking more than half his shots this season from three-point range. Uh, for one of the best finishers in the NBA, that is frustrating and not good. Uh, but these last two games, um, I think someone uh, showed him the film, got in his head because he was looking a lot more aggressive. Um was was pushing the ball against the Mavs. Like he had one play in transition where he missed it, but he just went right into Davis Berton's body in transition um, instead of taking a pull-up shot, which was good to see. Um, Had some nice cuts to the rim. Brunson hit him on one for a layup. Um, That was very sneaky where he kind of slowed up halfway through his cut and then sped all the way to the basket. Um, In the fourth quarter, had a pump and go for a tough miss layup, but it led to a putback for Hartenstein. It was, was kind of like those classic RJ drives where you're like, all right, but he got the Kobe assist. Like he he created room for Hartenstein on, on the rebound. And it was just it was just really nice uh, not to see him settling quite as much. Also had a really nice uh, hook pass to Isaiah Hartenstein for a pick and roll finish. And it, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, wow, those two are really good passers and have really good synergy. It's almost like they could have been doing that all season. I hope we get to see more of those two playing together because it is beautiful basketball. All right, we'll finish up on this uh Jalen Brunson in a clip on MSG um, he said it. He, he said this during the Mavericks game or before the Mavericks game he said I made my bed I got to lay in it on reference to him signing with the New York Knicks and we did get full context on this clip because it, it, it was cut into into sort of um a package and you, you didn't hear the initial question on it so I want to reserve judgment but I, I I don't know about you guys I just thought that was a little bit notable and then um positive note on Jalen Brunson after starting the year shooting just 22 for 73 from three-point range, 30%. He is now 12 of his last 26. And I thought he was forcing it early in the year on his step backs. Um, that is clearly something he worked on over the offseason. And he's trying to show it off, was clanging a bunch of them. They've looked a lot better recently. Um, and I, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle with him. It's probably about a 35 to 36% three-point shooter. But post-Luka Doncic, with way more of them being self-created, with more of them being contested, That is perfectly fine with how special of a two-point finisher that he is. All right, guys, that's it for this edition of the Locked On podcast. We will be back with a mailbag pod with a very special guest. I already spoiled it. It is our guy, Ariel Pacheco, one of the best in the biz. So check that out later today. But for now, I'm Gavin Shaw. This is Locked On Talk to you soon. Peace out.